Let's get started. Father, thank you for today. Thank you for the opportunity to come together worship with the body of Christ. Pray that you would open uh, our eyes, our minds, our hearts to um, the truths of your word as we um, study more of your Holy Spirit and today the gifts of the Spirit. Pray that uh, you would always apply your word to our hearts to transform us into Christ's likeness, to equip us for better service, to be more pleasing to you. And just pray that all that we do today would glorify and honor you. Pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So, uh, what are the gifts of the Spirit? That's what we're going to be talking about this morning. And first of all, let me give you a brief definition of spiritual gifts or the gifts of the Spirit. And a definition should be on that study guide. Spiritual gifts are undeserved, unearned, special abilities or abilities that are manifested to an extraordinary degree that the Holy Spirit gives to every believer without exception for the purpose of building up the church. That definition is basically a summary of the first seven verses of 1 Corinthians 12. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, do not Uh, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols, however you were led. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. Now, there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit, and there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. Now, breaking down that passage and that summary definition that I gave you, we can see that there's a number of basic truths that are stated or implied. First of all, spiritual gifts are given in order to enable the church to know and live in the truth. Paul tells the Corinthians that he doesn't want them to be uninformed, or you could say ignorant, about spiritual gifts. And the problem in Corinth was that the church was guilty of numerous errors, including errors regarding the use of gifts, and Paul was having to correct them. Here's they may have been knowingly or unknowingly allowing their previous pagan beliefs and practices influence their current practices as believers, particularly in regards to spiritual gifts. Previously, they were led astray to mute idols and false gods, but now they need to be wise and understanding. Apparently, the way the Corinthians were using or misusing their gifts was causing division, was causing confusion, and and chaos in the church, Um, hence the need for correction. Paul devotes several chapters to setting them straight on the gifts, uh, the gifts' purposes, the gifts' uses. The next point is that spiritual gifts enable everyone in the church or within the church to play an important role within the body, even though some gifts may seem to appear Uh, of greater value, all are necessary for the proper functioning of the body. Verse 4, there are varieties of gifts. And verse 7, to each is given the manifestation of the Spirit. 
and this refers to individual gifts and every believer within the church. Every believer within the church is given at least one spiritual gift. To each is given. And within the body of Christ, everyone is gifted and there are no exceptions. Everyone is gifted and since everyone is gifted, everyone is expected to use their gifts. The gifts aren't distributed by the Spirit for no purpose or in order to just sit dormant within the believer. The gifts are to be used, and they are to be used within the body of Christ, within the church. Third point is that gifts and their use should promote unity within the church. We receive our gifts from the same Spirit, different ways of serving, but the same Lord, and all gifts, forms of service, spiritual activity <coughs> are empowered by the same God. And apparently, one of the things that was happening within the church at Corinth was some people had become arrogant about their gifts, they, um, the gifts that they had been given, and they may have been looking down on others uh, who didn't have the same gifts. They considered them less important or of lesser value within the church. But then if you jump ahead to chapter, I'm sorry, to verses 20 through 26, he addresses this directly. He says, as it is, there are many parts, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. And our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which... Our more presentable parts do not require, but God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. The passage even emphasizes the fact that the diversity of gifts and their respective value should promote greater unity. There may be no division in the body, Paul says. Now, fourth point is that all of the gifts are given for the common good of the church, manifestation of the Spirit, for the common good, he says. And the phrase common good can actually be translated as to bring together. Holy Spirit is working through the gifts that he has distributed within the church to bring the body together to build it up. Believers are to be using their gifts, ministering to one another until we reach full maturity in Christ. That's the whole point of the gifts. We are built up in love, and that's the point that Paul makes in Ephesians chapter 4. And it can be seen as the common good. Our growth maturity in Christ is the common good of the church. <clears throat> until we reach full maturity. Another truth about spiritual gifts, the gifts of the Spirit, is that they are only for believers. They are to be understood as being separate and distinct from natural gifting and ability, such as someone who's a, a gifted singer or a poet or a craftsman or an athlete, natural gifting, natural abilities. Spiritual gifts 
are only for believers, those who have been baptized by Christ with the Holy Spirit into the body of Christ. Spiritual gifts are for use within the body of Christ and for the benefit of the body of Christ. It should also be said that the ultimate purpose of the gifts in building up the body as we reach full maturity in Christ is to bring glory to God because he's the one that the gifts come from. He's the one that the gifts are empowered by. And ultimately, this accomplishes our growth individually and corporately into Christ-likeness. God is glorified as we use our gifts as they are intended to be used, serving, helping, administering, preaching, teaching, giving, exhorting in love and care for one another. And it's really the working out of Philippians 2, 3 through 5, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others, having this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. The gifts that we are given are not for our personal benefit, but they are given in order to serve others. And finally, the gifts of the Spirit are given according to the sovereign will and determination of the Spirit, the sovereign will and determination of God. That's the point of 1 Corinthians 12, 11. All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. The NIV says, all these are the work of one and the same Spirit, and he distributes them to each one just as he determines. So God, the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit, determines who will receive which spiritual gifts, and they are not distributed based on merit or natural ability, but they are purely gifts that are undeserved, unearned, <coughs> and they are not for the benefit of the individual, again, but for the benefit of the church, for the glory of God. And I um, just want to remind you, for some of you who have not been here for uh, the whole series on the Holy Spirit, uh, the Holy Spirit <coughs> distributes these gifts, but, but the Godhead is one. It is not divisible. So all works of God, all members of the Godhead are involved, even though one may be attributed with uh, primary responsibility or primary acting within that work, but all members are involved in all works of God. <coughs> now, <clears throat> what are the gifts of the Spirit <clears throat> that are mentioned in Scripture? There are a couple of different passages that name the gifts, <clears throat> in some of those passages, the gifts are the same, they're repeated, and some they're different. And Paul lists eight gifts in his letter to the Corinthians, and then in Romans, he identifies seven gifts. Peter puts all the gifts into two categories. Um, those gifts are serving and speaking. Now, I'm going to go through those passages and then we'll talk about each gift, uh, what it means or what it involves. <clears throat> so the first passage is 1 Corinthians 12, 8 through 10. <clears throat> For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit. 
to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by the one Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another the ability to distinguish between spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. And then chapter 13, 1 through 3, if I speak in the tongues of men and of angels but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned but have not love, I gain nothing. And then 13.8, love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. Now, some of the gifts in those passages are repeated, like I said before, uh, obviously very similar. Then there's Romans chapter 12, verses 6 through 8 having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. <clears throat> Let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. And then Ephesians 4.11, um, some of the gifts are named that aren't listed elsewhere. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers. And then 1 Peter 4, 10, and 11, as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. And there you see that ultimate purpose of the gifts again, to glorify God. Now, regarding these gifts, not all theologians and Bible scholars agree on the exact number or nature of some of the gifts. Um, what we are given are some general categories of gifting and those gifts may be expressed or used in, in a variety of ways, in a variety of contexts. Some may also combine certain gifts like pastor-teacher, whereas some might see uh, those as separate gifts. Some see them as one uh, gift. So uh, we're not going to get into those kinds of details. I will go through, I think there's 14 or 15 gifts that we're going to address this morning talking about what those look like, what they are. We will talk more next week as well about some of these gifts, particularly the issue of cessationism um, or continuation. <coughs> We're going to talk teaching and effectively to transfer <coughs> or pass on information, but it involves being able to instruct, to guide, help others to understand and apply the word to their lives. It's not about having an impressive theological education, although that might help in providing resources for the use of the gift, but rather it's being able to communicate biblical truth <clears throat> in a way that is easily understood and impactful, serves to grow individuals in uh, the faith it serves to grow the church in its knowledge and application of the truth. And it doesn't necessarily mean 
that uh, a gifted teacher will have a pulpit ministry, will, will preach. Uh, a gifted teacher may use that gift uh, in instructing others in one-on-one discipleship or in small group settings, but it would certainly include preaching and teaching from the pulpit. Someone may also be able to teach uh, without that gift, but the gifted teacher is going to excel in communicating truth beyond what would be uh, considered the norm. Next gift, exhortation. This gift is the spirit-enabled ability to encourage others to do what is right, to live in obedience to what Christ commands, to make wise and godly decisions and pursue righteous actions. It's not about imposing personal ideas or standards or preferences, but rather helping people to do what is clearly revealed in Scripture. may involve counseling, comforting, correcting, simply calling people to obey the word, and the word translated as exhortation can also be translated as encourage. Exhortation is encouraging others to live according to what is revealed in Scripture. If you've been encouraged by someone with this gift, you're going to have a very clear understanding or idea of what, how, and why you should be doing what you should be doing. And I will say this gift goes hand in hand with the gift of teaching uh, and pastoring. Next gift is faith. This gift uh, is not about the faith of salvation or trusting Christ to salvation. It's the believer who is able to unwaveringly trust the Lord in all details of life, in all circumstances of life, good, bad, challenging or tragic. It's the believer who can rejoice in trials, knowing that God is working out all of his plans and purposes and that everything God ordains is for the good of the individual saint and that everything God has promised will be accomplished in his perfect timing, in his perfect will. It's the individual who trusts God to do great and seemingly miraculous things in spite of all appearances to the contrary. This is the mother who faithfully prays for the salvation of an adult child who continues to reject Christ, believing that the Lord will in his perfect timing give that child a new heart. and grant repentance and faith. Or people who are able to confidently trust in God's provision when they lose a job and have no financial resources uh, and through no fault of their own. Or the saint who is diagnosed with a terminal disease yet continues to speak of God's goodness And the joyful hope of heaven, that is the gift of faith. Next gift is leading. This gift is most likely uh, related to being um, an effective administrator, someone who's able to, because of the Spirit's gifting, uh, to organize, direct, and help others 
to put their gifts into action for the benefit of the church. It's someone who doesn't just have good ideas or godly and practical ideas or vision for the church, but they're able to mobilize the church to implement those ideas, those plans for accomplishing the mission and the ministries of the church. They're generally people who are very well organized by the Spirit's gifting. Uh, They're good at managing and strengthening a team. Uh, They excel at starting and moving new ministries forward, as well as appropriately and effectively delegating responsibility. So that's the gift of leading. Next is the gift of helping or serving. It's basically being able to joyfully and enthusiastically do whatever is needed, whatever is needed in the way of um, helping or serving individuals or the corporate church body. They literally jump at opportunities to serve, and they do a great job in whatever task uh, they are um, given. This is um, deacons are often gifted in this way, although it's not a necessity, but I think some of you may know some of our deacons, and they are clearly gifted in serving or helping. Everyone within the body, though, is required to serve, even if you don't have that gift, which is true of many of these gifts, many of the things that uh, are gifted by the Holy Spirit are still expectations on all of us, okay? So just because you don't have the gift of serving doesn't mean you can opt out of serving, okay? But those who are gifted go above and beyond what is expected. Next gift is mercy. This is the spirit-enabled ability to have understanding compassion, care for, uh, to be able to empathize with people who are suffering. And again, just like I said about serving, as with most gifts, we all need to be doing these things. We all need to show and display mercy. We should all be merciful as we are called to bear one another's burdens in Galatians 6, 2. Those who are gifted in this way go out of their way to help and to comfort others. It comes, well, I won't say it comes naturally, it comes supernaturally to them. They're able to give that help and comfort in exceptionally effective ways and means. They don't have to muster up compassion and care for others. It flows easily from them, and they know how and are able to come alongside their brothers and sisters when they're struggling in difficult and trying times. may also be evident in the way that they deal with people who are in sin. Rather than bringing the hammer down from the outset, they gently and patiently walk alongside and help um, their brothers and sisters to acknowledge, to repent, and pursue righteousness. Next is giving, generosity. This one's pretty obvious. The believer who is gifted with generosity is able to joyfully and generously donate or dedicate their material resources to help the church with gospel work, such as missions or the daily monetary needs of the corporate church's operation, as well as freely and eagerly helping individuals within the body with their material and financial needs. Uh, This gift 
might uh, often be given to those who are financially more successful, uh, who may be endowed with great wealth, but it is not necessary uh, to be gifted in this way. Even people who uh, have little often are gifted with generosity. Next is evangelism. <clears throat> As I mentioned, again, I'm going to say this a few more times before we're done. Uh, most of the gifts are things that people are supposed to be, all believers are supposed to be doing or manifesting, whether they are gifted or not. That's certainly true of evangelism. We are all commanded to preach the gospel. But those with the gift of evangelism have an exceptional ability to boldly, with no fear of consequences, clearly and effectively communicate the gospel to unbelievers. They seem to have never-ending opportunities and open doors to continually share, and they are able to work the gospel into practically every conversation. And they will likely see more people coming to faith uh, through those gospel opportunities than those of us without the gift. And there's one person in this church um, who I am firmly convinced has the gift of evangelism. He's not in here this morning. But if you get an opportunity, talk to Matt Williams about an opportunity he had a couple of weeks ago uh, when they were doing some training with the police department. It's, uh, I think it's clear evidence that he has this gift. Anyway, ask him about it. Next is uh, distinguishing between spirits or spiritual discernment, uh, the ability to discern true revelation, teaching, doctrine from false revelation, teaching or doctrine, and the ability to uh, discern false teachers. Uh, in other words, the ability to determine what is truly from God and what is of satanic origin. Again, this is something we are all supposed to do, and we are all able to do it to a degree by comparing what is taught with what Scripture clearly teaches. Uh, and that's how we determine error, not focusing on the error so much, but knowing what Scripture says uh, about whatever the issue may be. Okay? Pastors, shepherds is the next gift. This is the gift of spirit-enabled shepherding of the local church, feeding with the word, by preaching, teaching, counseling, um, leading, discipling, caring for, and protecting, <clears throat> particularly from false doctrine and sin, and helping the church to grow, helping to nurture God's people. This gift is listed in Ephesians 4.11, and it is grammatically connected with the gift of teacher or teaching, uh, so some see this as uh, separate gifts, others see it as a single gift, pastor-teacher. Whatever the correct view is, the office of pastor, elder, shepherd does require the individual to be able to teach or communicate God's word, although it doesn't necessarily require uh, spirit-enabled gifting in that. All the gifts that we've gone through now so far are gifts that have been in operation from Pentecost forward. And they are all still given today by the Holy Spirit. They're all in operation today. Now, the next several gifts I'm going to talk about are gifts that we believe 
here at Crossway, we believe that they have ceased to be in operation, uh, that they ceased to be in operation at the end of the apostolic period uh, or with the death of the last apostle and with the completion of the New Testament scripture, the New Testament canon. And I will discuss um, the reasons that we hold that view uh, next week. So if you have questions after you hear what I'm going to say about these gifts today, just hold off on those till next week and I will address it. So first is apostle. The gift of apostle, uh, apostle would be the office of men who were commissioned directly by Christ or by the apostles, such as Matthias. The Greek word translated as apostle describes or has the meaning of a messenger or someone who is a specially commissioned ambassador. This would refer to the 12 apostles, again, including Matthias, and then Paul, who was commissioned by Christ in a supernatural confrontation on the road to Damascus in Acts 9. The office and ministry of the apostles was authenticated through signs and wonders, Acts 5.12. Now, many signs and wonders were regularly done among the people by the hands of the apostles. And in 2 Corinthians 12.12, Paul says, the signs of a true apostle were performed among you with utmost patience, with signs and wonders and mighty works. So that makes it pretty clear that there were true and false apostles and the signs and wonders that the true apostles performed were the means by which people would be able to distinguish between the true and the false. And the last living apostle was John. He was the only apostle uh, not to die as a martyr, and there are no apostles today contrary to what you may hear about or see in some uh, charismatic churches. I remember when we lived in Kenya, there were numerous churches that had these giant billboards and uh, Apostle John or Apostle Tim, you know, or Apostle Bill would lead that church, okay? No apostles today. Next is Miracles. This is the spirit-enabled ability to perform extraordinary acts uh, that are supernatural in nature. They defy the natural laws or the normal laws of nature, laws that are put in place by God, but they are able to be suspended or superseded by God or those that he empowers in order to perform miracles. It is a gift that is seen throughout Scripture, from Moses parting the Red Sea to people being raised from the dead. This gift was part of that gifting for apostle, and it enabled the authenticating performance of signs and wonders. A few examples of miracles are Tabitha, who was raised by Peter in Acts 9, and Eutychus, who was raised by Paul in Acts 20. Next is healing. Healing is the ability to heal or restore to health and wholeness those who are sick and disabled regardless of what their illness or injury may be, physical illness or injury. It's, again, much like miracles, a supernatural display of power that defies natural law. In the New Testament, when you see this gift or ability being used, the person doing the healing is able to bring about healing 
immediately, on command, without any jumping around, no shouting, no slapping people, what you might see in some of those who falsely claim to have this gift today. In In Scripture, people are cured of blindness, crippled, unable to walk. They're cured of leprosy, uncontrolled bleeding, uh, Matthew 9, 20 through 22, John 9, 1 through 12, Acts 3, 1 through 10. I think I listed all those on the study guide. Again, what you see being passed off today as healing is nothing like the powerful examples of healing that you see recorded in Scripture. And it's not to say that God does not perform miracles or heal today. I believe he does but I would argue that he does so spontaneously and apart from any gifting of individual believers for that purpose. He also heals providentially. Much of the providential healing is miraculous. You may have known someone who was diagnosed with cancer. Uh, The tumor is clearly evident on the scans, and then a few weeks later, no treatment has been taken, and the tumor's gone. Uh, Doctors can't figure it out. They're baffled, it defies science, and that is most likely a miracle. It's not some guy on stage who identifies someone in the audience that has a ringing in their ear and then slaps them up the side of the head and the ringing's gone. Probably not gone, it's just that the pain from the slap made him forget about the ringing for a while, then it comes back. Next gift is prophecy. The gift of prophecy in the office of prophet is someone who is enabled by the Spirit to communicate to God's people, Israel, or the church, direct revelation from God. The biblical standard for a prophet was 100% accuracy. Otherwise, they would be identified as a false prophet. In the Old Testament, the punishment for false prophecy was death. Deuteronomy 18, 20 through 22. But the prophet who presumes to speak a word in my name that I have not commanded him to speak or who speaks in the name of other gods, that same prophet shall die. And if you say in your heart, how may we know the word that the Lord has not spoken? When a prophet speaks in the name of the Lord, if the word does not come to pass or come true, that is a word that the Lord has not spoken. The prophet has spoken it presumptuously. You need not be afraid of him. Now, in the New Testament, false prophets weren't killed, but the same standard of 100% accuracy applied. Then, as now, a false prophet was or is anyone who claims to hear from or have a word from the Lord or the Holy Spirit, and yet their prophecy or their word is not 100% accurate in all of its details. If a portion of it fails, If a portion of it fails to come to pass, it is false prophecy. Now today, in some charismatic circles, you may hear the term fallible prophecy. Biblically, there's no such thing. Someone who has the gift of prophecy is someone who God speaks directly through with clarity, power, and authority. And the prophet declares what God has revealed with 100% accuracy. There's never any error or near misses. These prophetic utterances were recorded in Scripture. The Scriptures, the Old and New Testament, 
were inspired, given, God-breathed through this gift, and each word, each historical record, promise, or foretelling of the future is 100% accurate and without error. And when the final word of Revelation was recorded and the last apostle died, the gift of prophecy ended as well. Now we have the written word of God, and in his word we have all that is necessary. 2 Peter 1, 3 through 4, his divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence, by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. And 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. God's revelation His prophetic word is complete and it is sufficient. There is no need for any further revelation or for the gift or office of prophet. Next gift is tongues. That's speaking in a foreign language that you've never studied or learned. An interpretation of tongues is being able to interpret without prior learning the language being spoken by someone with the gift of tongues. And that's all I'm going to say about those two gifts. Next week, we will, I will talk more about that and, and talk about uh, cessationism as opposed to continuationism and our position on that. So, any questions? Yes, sir. Yeah, I think that that the Holy Spirit definitely gives every believer at least one gift, but some people are gifted with multiple gifts. So, And I will talk next week or the following. We've got two more sessions left on how to determine what your gift is, how to know what your gifting is. I'll talk about that next week. No, no, it's, it's fair to me. So I don't get it wrong. <laughs> I will say yes, okay? We're, we're all supposed to be encouraging one another, correcting one another, and that actually is a form of teaching. We, we do that with the Word, okay? So we instruct each other in the Word. When you're discipling or mentoring someone, that is a form of teaching, instruction, because it's not just hanging out, you know, and going to dinner. You are... are counseling, instructing, correcting, training one another in the Word. And it's a form of teaching. So we, and we all do that. You know, when somebody's not as discouraged and you encourage them from the Word, it is, it is a form of teaching. I don't know that everybody would agree with that, but I think that that is, you know, one of the things that we all do. Okay? 
Yes, sir. Right. Yeah, I would agree with that. And I think that, that everything that we're able to do, whether it's one of the, the spiritual gifts listed in the New Testament or natural gifts and abilities, I believe, and I believe that Scripture teaches that all of those gifts are given by the Spirit. So the, the, the gifts of the Spirit that are given to believers are specifically for building up the church. But that's not to say that people who have those natural abilities that are also and many of the natural abilities are from the same gifts that we see given by the Spirit for the church, administration, teaching. There are people who are gifted teachers, you know, who are unbelievers. And as they come into the church, those natural gifts and abilities can be used for the benefit of the church as well. Just that those gifts that are identified and listed and even defined in Scripture are specifically for the church specifically given to believers. Yeah. That answer your question? Okay. Yeah, so that's referring specifically to those that hold uh, offices of teaching, pastors particularly, Okay. That's what it's speaking about in that, but when, when we disciple one another, when we encourage one another, it is a form of teaching. You're giving instruction in the Word. You're not just passing on your opinion. You know? it's, it's pointing people to the Word, instructing them in the meaning of the Word. We all do that, or we're certainly all supposed to be doing that. We're all supposed to be making disciples. We make disciples by teaching them to observe all that Christ commanded, teaching them. That answer? Okay. All right. You're dismissed.